So how did a first century cult birthed in the armpits of the Roman empire, whose leader was rejected and crucified survive? And not only did this first century cult survive, but actually thrive in the face of government funded opposition to it. Now, how did, how did this happen? How did it come about that a Nazarene sect, because that's what Christianity followers of Jesus were referred to in the first century by people who are wondering, what is this and how do we make it go away? How did it come about that a Nazarene sect would be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? How is it that against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with? This is one of history's greatest mysteries. I mean, we can't deny that it happened because, well, here we are in a church building, worshiping Jesus, that same first century Nazarene sect cult leader, And you probably, on your way here, passed by at least one other church. At least one other. We can't deny that this has happened, but it's still a mystery as to how the church became so prevalent and so powerful. A mystery, obviously, unless, in fact, it is true that Jesus, the man who predicted his own death, actually pulled it off and changed the world. Here's what else Jesus predicted. This is like one of my favorite Bible prophecies. Jesus one day was with his followers way up north in like the modern day northern Syria. They're at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asks his disciples, he says, hey, what's the word on the street about me? Which is a question you never really want to ask because you don't really want to know. But Jesus asks, What's my reputation? What are people saying about me? And the disciples, they respond. They say, well, some think that you're a reincarnated prophet. Others think that you're John the Baptist who is coming back to life. And then Jesus looks at his 12 followers in the eyes and and he asks, well, who do you say that I am? I mean, you've been with me for a little while now. Who, Who do you think that I am? And Peter gets Well, he gets the trivia answer right. He wins Jesus trivia and he makes this extraordinary statement. This is Matthew chapter 16. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you or blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown you this. Rather, my father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter and I will build my church on this rock and the gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. Peter says, look, we we believe that you are your God's final king. We we believe that that you are God's own son and, and we can't define it. We can't understand it, but that's what we believe. And then Jesus says, and they couldn't have possibly uh, wrapped their minds around this at the time. Jesus says that Peter on, on this statement, on this confession, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia, the little Greek word that means my, my gathering, my congregation, my, my movement, my assembly, my gathering. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking with us. Are you kidding? 
we don't know what we're doing. We're, we're scared to death half the, half the time. And in fact, most of us, we don't even really like each other. You're building your movement on, on us. But Jesus says, guys, listen, I, I'm doing something new. I'm doing something new with you and not even the underworld, not even death will stop it. Not my death, not your death. Nothing will stop this thing called my church. And here we are. Jesus predicted us. I mean, isn't, isn't that wild? How? How throughout all the centuries, all the generations that, that here we are. Bart Ehrman is a, uh, he's a New Testament uh, scholar, uh, but he's also a, a devout atheist. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. I had to read a bunch of his books in my undergrad degree. He, he's brilliant, but he's not a Christian. Um, he's, he's a historian of Christianity. Uh, but he says this, and this is just remarkable what he says. He says this at the end of his book, The Triumph of Christianity. He writes this. He says, Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution, not just a religious thing, that affected government practices, legislation, art, music, philosophy, and on an even more fundamental level, it transformed the very understanding of billions of people had about what it means to be human. Because Jesus taught that every single person had inborn dignity and worth. This was a radically new idea in the first century. That everybody had inborn worth, not because of what they did or had accomplished, but because they were created by God. Ehrman goes on, he says, however one evaluates the merits of the case, talking about, you know, whether you're, you're pro-Christian, anti-Christian, it doesn't matter. However one evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. That's coming from an atheist. Now, now pay attention. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are stewards of this movement. And the responsibility of this generation, the responsibility of the next generation is in our hands. We are stewards of this Jesus movement. And we have a choice to make. We can either take from it and consume it and leave it weaker and sidelined and ineffective because we got out of it what we wanted out of it. I'm going to heaven when I die and my children are going to heaven when they die. And I like this preacher and I like that preacher and I take a little bit of this and I take a little bit of that and I kind of form my own thing, but, but I don't have time to be engaged and we can do that. It's easier than ever to do just that, to just consume, 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 consume. We, we've made it easier than ever as the church to do just that. But we do have a choice to make that we can either consume and disengage or we can contribute and elevate this gift that God has given to us to ensure that the church continues to be the most monumental cultural transformation the world has ever seen. And you're smart people. You, you, you know what all the experts are saying. Everyone is saying, well, the church is dying. 
And the pandemic just, just sped up what is inevitable. And so I have a question to ask. Do you know who gets to determine whether or not that is true? Do you know who gets to determine whether or not the church is going to be here? A, a vibrant, strong church here for your children and for your children's children in the next generation. Do you know who gets to determine that? You. You. You do. We, we do. We get to decide that. You, you are the church. You are your church. And the question becomes, will we be the church? Will we fulfill our divine mandate? Will we be good stewards of this movement, this extraordinary thing that Jesus has laid down his life and died for? Will we be good stewards of it? I say, I say yes, but it's, gonna, it's not going to happen without all of us involved. And this is the part where I need to just like get in your face a little bit. And, and, and I don't like to do this. This is the point where I just want to, you know, say a joke and we just move right past through all of this. But, but I, I got to get in your face just, just a little bit, because as long as you keep giving me the microphone and haven't kicked me out of this place, you know, I, I have a responsibility. This job comes with a responsibility. And, and this, isn't, this isn't embarrassing. I think that this is actually exciting. I hope that this is exciting. That you, you are part of the body of Christ. And this is God's will for you. Look, I, I don't know a whole lot about God's will for you. It, it's a mystery for me. I, I don't know what God's will for you is with, you know, your, your finances and your relationships and all of that. But, but I do know that this is God's will for you, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is God's will for you to engage and to contribute something to the body of Christ, the church in, in such a way, in such a way that the cultural revolution continues. And so throughout this message series, we've been kind of talking uh, in and out about uh, this New Testament book called Hebrews. Uh, really, it's a sermon that is written to the early church, but the early Christians, they found this to be so relevant that they started making copies of it. But originally, it was a sermon that was given to these early Jewish Christians in the first century. They were living in a culture where the majority of people were not followers of Jesus and because this little church, this little gathering of Jesus followers wanted to express their faith, they were being uh, persecuted and threatened. They were losing their property. They were being shunned by their communities. Some were even killed because of their faith. And so they're fearful of meeting and they retreated from gathering in their little huddles, their little church communities, because it could literally cost them their lives. But in spite of the danger, this is what the preacher, the author of the book of Hebrews says, urges them to do. This is Hebrews chapter 10. He says, and let us consider each other carefully for the purpose. <laughs> consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers which some people have gotten into the habit of doing instead encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. I mean, this just, this blows my mind that despite 
all of the risks that were involved in gathering as believers to worship Jesus during those days, that despite all of the risks, that the benefits must have outweighed the risks. Makes you feel kind of bad for skipping church to go golf, right, on a Sunday. But here's why this is so important. And here's, here's why the author of Hebrews urges us. Because these followers of Jesus, they were beginning to drift away from the faith. And he or she, we don't know. They, they, they say, you know you've started to drift because you've stopped gathering. And you started isolating. We, we've talked about this, that, that in order to drift, in order to drift, all you have to do is, is nothing. Just let the current take you. And so perhaps, perhaps ne- neglecting to gather is one more way that we can be prone to drifting. In other words, when, when it comes to the church, we, we don't have to do anything ungodly to find ourselves drifting. Sometimes all, all we have to do is simply neglect to gather together. You see, gathering isn't just something that the church does. Gathering is what the church is. Remember what Jesus told Peter in that little game of guess who? Jesus said, on this rock, on this statement, I will build my church. And he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about his movement, his assembly, his gathering. And please, please hear me on this. You don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. You don't. You don't have to go to church to follow Jesus. That is 100% true. Uh, attending a worship service on a Sunday morning has nothing to do with your eternal salvation or whatever it is. But, but what followers of Jesus do is they gather. Because when we gather as a church, we, we gather as an outpost of heaven on earth. That, that is visible, audible, touchable heaven on earth. And yeah, we're not a perfect church. I don't think one exists. And, and we're not a perfect people, but we are still gathered as the body of Christ. And, and so beyond how the church affects you personally, I, I just didn't like the message. It didn't connect with me or, oh, I, I loved it. Or I didn't like the music or I wish they would have sung this song or that song, whatever it might be beyond how the church affects us personally. The church is still the visible representation of God on earth, because when we show up, God sanctifies the place. Jesus said that whenever two or three gather together in my name, I will be there. Jesus is there. Jesus is here. You know, throughout my years of being in church, I I have struggled. I have laughed. I've cried. I've grieved. I've prayed. I've hoped. I've dreamed. I've despaired. I've suffered, rejoiced, and praised all alongside of my church family. And at other times, I've had the privilege of being there to run alongside my siblings in Christ as they were going through the same things. And I've had plenty of conversations with people who have been deeply wounded, deeply hurt by the church. Some have even asked me why I would spend my entire life trying to build the very thing that has caused them so much pain. That's a valid question. I get it. But though I believe that There's often a lot of hurt in community. 
I, I also believe that healing takes place in community. I, I believe that that takes place in the church community as well. I mean, heck, some of you have been here long enough to be able to look down the pew and see someone else sitting there next to you. And you remember what they said or did to hurt you. And let's be honest. Some of the reason why some of these seats are empty is because of just that. But you're still here. And and you're still here because I I guess that, that here is where you have also found immense healing as well. That with all of its flaws and and all of its quirks and challenges and issues, the the church is still God's big idea for the world. You, you are the body of Christ. And and this, this isn't meant to be just a metaphor. You are supposed to be doing what Jesus did while he was here on the earth. That you, you are the hands and feet of Jesus, supposed to be doing the hands and feet stuff of Jesus here in this part of the world. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, almost imagine like he says, folks, listen up. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. Exclamation point. Folks, listen, you are the body of Christ and you belong to each other. I don't really feel like it. I don't really, I don't really want to be a part of it. I just want to consume content and whatever's good for me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how this thing works. Because here's what Paul would say to us. And we know what Paul would say to us because he said the same thing to the church in Corinth in the first century. Chapter 12, verse 15, Paul says, if the foot says, now, if your foot should say anything, then just like game over. But Paul says, if the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that mean it's not part of the body? No. If any of your body parts decide that they are no longer going to be part of your body, the rest of the parts are going to say, what are you talking about? You are like, like it or not. We are attached. We are one unit. Well, I don't want to be well too bad. You are. And Paul just goes on and on and on about this. He says, if the ear says, well, I'm not an eye. I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if it's not convenient for me, then, then I don't want to be a part of it. Paul says, you're attached. Where are you going? You can't take your stuff and just leave. You you are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus here in this community. But, But it's not just a collection. Each of you is a part of it. And let me say, if you've ever seen a disconnected body part, it's not pretty. It's kind of gross. It's working as a chaplain in a hospital one time. And I remember a man came in in a wheelchair uh, with a thumb in a bag. Disconnected body parts, not pretty, pretty gross. Actually, here's what Paul is saying. Don't be gross. (laughs) Don't be gross. Don't, don't act like you are not part of the body because you are part of the body. Don't be gross. 
Don't, don't just consume, consume, consume. Contribute. You have something to give. You have a function, a role to play. And, and, and I understand this. I, I'm, I'm not as critical as I'm coming off to be today. But, but, but listen, for some of you, it's, it's time to just re-engage. It's time, it's time to reconnect. If you've been grateful for your local church, for this local church, but you're not engaged, it's time. It's time to engage. And I understand, look, there's a million reasons why. There's the pandemic. There's, there's all of that. I get it. But if you're grateful but not engaged, it's time. It's time to re-engage. And it's not just because we need you. I'll be honest. We do need you. We need you in our children's ministry. We need you in our youth ministry. We need greeters. We, we need leaders on our committees to look over the finances and buildings of the church. We need small group leaders. We need people to serve. We, we have a lot of needs. We need you. I'll be honest about that. But let's also be honest about you for a moment. You need us. <laughs> because isn't it, isn't it true of, of yourself? Is it true that, that maybe you've started to drift in your faith because you've stopped gathering and you've started isolating. You've been disconnected. We need you. Yeah, absolutely. But also, also you need us because you are a member of the body of Christ. And when we neglect to gather, we, we not only miss the blessings that come from our gathering, but we miss out on being a blessing to everyone else who gathers here. And this, this changes the conversation for, for those who are here just about every week, right? What, what if your first thought was when you pulled into the parking lot on Sunday morning, what if your th- first thought was, I- I'm here for others, I'm here for others. How, how can I show up and be a blessing to someone else? And look, I, I hope that you're here for yourself too. I hope you get something out of the worship experiences and, and all of that. But wouldn't that change the way that you talk to people out in the courtyard? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that change your approach to conversations? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it make it a little bit more intentional and, and you wouldn't settle for just fine when you ask someone how they're doing? That you decided, I'm, I'm here, not just for me, but I'm here to be a blessing to someone else. We are one body with many parts. We all have gifts to bring. Don't, don't be dismembered. Paul says, don't, don't be gross. And so here's, here's our very simple mission statement as a church. This is, a, this is why we said, here's why we exist. We said, we, as First Dunedin Church, We are here to connect people to one another and to Jesus Christ so that our communities will be more just, loving, and hopeful. We we believe that when we get connected to each other, when we get connected to Jesus, that things change. But when you're dismembered, you're not connected. And and I'm not calling on you just, just to get your rear end in a row. Maybe... Maybe that's where some of you just need to start. Some, some who are just been content with just watching online, you know, first step is just to get out of your PJs and get to church. Or heck, wear your PJs to church. I don't care. No one cares. Just get here. But what I'm asking for you to do is so much more than that. Not just attend. 
I'm asking you to participate. I'm asking you to, to do your function as a part of the body of Christ. I'm asking you, as James, the brother of Jesus said, don't just be a hearer of the word. Don't just consume, consume, consume. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of it. And so for those of you who who have showed up every week for for every opportunity, even through the pandemic, I I just want to say thank you. I I know I, I don't say that enough. Thank you for your presence that thank you for, for being a blessing in gathering. For those of you who gave of your resources so that we could keep going as a church, so that we can pivot when we needed to, thank you. And for those of you who have gotten just a little content to just consume and not contribute, it's time. And we need you. And I bet you know that you need us. Have you started, you started to drift? So let's do this. Because, because after all, after all, we are the church. We, we are the mystery of history. The, the Jesus movement should have died and been buried right alongside Jesus when he died. And it was. For a brief moment, only three days. And then it was resurrected because Jesus was resurrected. And and that same power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us, his church. So church, body of Christ, the Jesus movement here in downtown Dunedin. It's time for us to get back up. It's time for us to get back together. It's time for us to go forward as the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift that we call church. Lord, even though you know it's not perfect, Yet, God, it is still a gift that you give to us. Lord, help us to see it just as that. Help us to see each other as a gift. That together we are stronger. And together we can, can do a better job of being Jesus in our community. God, don't let us forget that we need each other. Don't don't let us neglect the gift that you have given to us as your gathered community. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to consider one another carefully so that we might spark each other on towards good deeds. Lord, help us to be your church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.